Shalom, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Pulse of Israel here in our eternal and ancestral homeland. Today, we have a special guest that we love having on the show in order to get insight into the goings-on of Israeli politics, because there's always Israeli politics, and another election. So we're going to be talking to Jeremy Sultan, Knesset Insider, political strategist, and number 16 on the Amina list. That is the party headed by Naftali Bennett. So uh, before we get started, you all know censorship is on the rise in social media and it affects us as well. So the best way to continue receiving videos made by me and my organization is to go to pulseofisrael.com and to sign up there for our newsletter. And if you're already a subscriber, thank you. So let us bring on Jeremy Sultan. Shalom, shalom, Jeremy. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing, Avi? Thank God, home, healthy, trying to keep sane in this insane world. How are you? How's you and your family? Hi, everyone's good. You know, uh, we've still all been lucky. None of us, uh, none of us have had Corona yet. Uh, I'm pretty lucky. I haven't even had a Corona test yet. So that's great. Stay, <laughs> stay healthy. Yeah, we also, we haven't had Corona or Corona test yet. Yeah, it's true. I haven't even thought about that. But, um, all right, so let's let's get into Israeli politics. What is going on with the elections? How are you reading the map right now according to, and again, for people who don't know, there are plenty of, uh, of, of polls out there. You've always had your finger, like, on, like, the mega, the mega poll, putting it all together, the mega data, looking through the big picture of all the polls. So what, what are you seeing based on your information? Well, uh, pretty much if, if things continue the way that they are right now, um, the end result of this fourth government, you know, this fourth election will be no government and a fifth election. Wow. <laughs> I mean, um, that's, that's really what we have. We have a situation in which Really, everyone is ruling out sitting with everyone, pretty much, with the exception of my party, of course. But yeah, you have uh, the you, you have uh, Lieberman who won't sit with the Haredi, who won't sit with Smotrich, who won't sit with uh, with Labor, who won't sit with um, uh, Likud, who won't sit with Meretz, who won't sit with uh, uh, whoever else you got there. Pr pr pretty much, you have a situation where no one wants to sit with anyone. And uh, look, there's a reason why we, we're having our fourth election less than two years, and that's because Israel's very much divided. And, and whatever poll you look at, whatever trend you want to look, it, it's the same answer, and that is that we're just <laughs> very much divided, and it's not very conclusive in terms of uh, the results that we're looking at. Well, the interesting thing is, and correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, the, the right-wing religious bloc, as it's called, with all of its satellite parties, meaning people who were associated with that camp, which, I mean, some people include, uh, um, Avigdor Lieberman even partly being a right-winger in some shape or form, Gidon Sars party, uh, Yamina party, even according to all the polls, that's around 75, 80 seats, but yet we're still in this, pro in this problem. Um, so how, how do you explain that to people? Oh, it's it's a very simple example, uh, and and that's um, you, you know Benjamin Netanyahu. As you said, in, in most polls, it's over eighty, and some of them it's it's close to ninety seats even wow. of what's considered the right left block. This is no longer a situation of right versus left. That's the traditional way that we've gone about politics um, for decades here in Israel, in which you had two blocks, you had a right block and a left block. 
But today, the left block is pretty much disintegrated. Um, right now, blue and white, merits, labor, uh, the Ram party, these are all uh, Zalika. All these parties are either just above the threshold or they're, they're under, depending on what the poll is. Really, Yeshatid is the only party on the center left that is safe when it comes to the threshold. And uh, even then, they, they haven't had one poll getting them up to that 20 seat number. They've always been in the teens in every single poll that's uh, been taken out. And uh, even when Lapid is uh, campaigning, he's not really expecting to get more than his best showing, which was 19 that he got back in 2013. On the other side, like you said, um, the, the right is divided into, into groups. You have uh, Shas and UTJ who, who support Netanyahu. You have the Smotrich, Otsma, Noam list that joined for an alliance and, and they're backing Netanyahu. And then you have Gidon Sar's party, which said they'll go with anyone but Netanyahu. You have Lieberman's list, who's again right wing, but uh, said he will not go with uh, any, uh, he won't go with Netanyahu, go with anyone else. And then you have also Yamina, led by Naftali Bennett, uh, my party, that says they, they will not make a commitment in terms of uh, what would happen in a future situation, which, of course, Naftali's running for prime minister, but what would happen in a situation where he doesn't get enough recommendations in the prime minister's house, uh, sorry, in the president's house for prime minister, uh, what that would mean. So, so you have a situation where, uh, despite the right having a very, very large majority, um, really, you know, uh, we're talking about two-thirds majority, close to even three-quarters, uh, be because of the resistance and opposition to Netanyahu, uh, the right cannot cannot form a government. That's just the way that the situation stands right now. That's crazy. You know, I, want, I just want to go into a little more detail of what you're referring to so people can get more of an understanding. Um, let's go into the differences strategically. Not, not, not yet differences in parties. We'll talk more about your party and party positioning afterwards. But strategically for the elections, both Naftali Bennett and Gidon Saar, both part of the traditional right wing. I mean, Gidon Saar was part of the Likudin just here a few months ago. Um... They both basically position themselves, we want to replace Benjamin Netanyahu as prime minister, going with that strategy. Each one initially, when they started with that strategy, polls giving both lots of seats, even up into the 20s. Over time, the numbers for both have gone down to the, the lower double digits of, of, of teens. I think uh, uh, Yamina now is around 10 to 13. Uh, Sarah is around 13, something like that. But yet there's still a major difference between the two strategies. Sars basically went in the direction, anybody but Bibi, whereas as Bennett and your party is saying, listen, we want Bennett to be the prime minister, but we're not, we're not puzzling out, we're not negating anybody, maybe even Bibi. Which do you think is uh, strategically playing out better for which party? Well, I think it's important to understand the, the fundamentals in terms of how we choose prime minister. And I think um, really that sort of explains the difference in approach between the two parties. Um, for those who don't know, we have a three-phase process. I think I've been on your show talking about this in the past, yeah. but, but in the first phase, what you do is you have the legislative branch election, right? You're, you're voting for your congressman, you're voting for your uh, district, you're voting for your constituency, you know, depending if you're from the UK or Canada or, or wherever. That, that's, that's who it is that you're voting for at this time. And based on the results of the legislative branch, all of the parties that are elected to the Knesset 
then uh, send a delegation to the president's residence. The president is sort of like our Queen of England in which he's a head of state without a lot of uh, real power, but this is the main thing that he does in terms of power. And, and he gets the recommendations from the various parties that, that um, got into the Knesset and they recommend a prime minister uh, candidate. And then in the third uh, in, in the third vote, so of course in the first vote, it's all citizens. In the second vote, it's the parties themselves that, that give their nominations. And then in the third and final phase, it's each one of the 120 elected Knesset members where they have to vote a measure of uh, confidence. There's a confidence vote on the, the new government that's between the second and third phase, all the coalition agreements and the horse trading that everyone's used to. So right in the third uh, time, it's it's the 120 uh, voting for confidence of the new government. So so what Gidon Tsar has pretty much done, and, and this is a very interesting strategy, is he said, not only am I running for prime minister in phase one, and I'm committing that I'm going to recommend myself in phase two, but he's saying in phase three, I am not going to, to accept Netanyahu. And we know that there are four candidates, of course, running for prime minister, or for those who don't, they do now. So what he's basically saying is, if not himself, he's limiting himself to a situation where he would either join Lapid or Bennett. Uh, but, but I should mention that yesterday, last night, he gave an interview in which he said Lapid is not worthy of being prime minister. I don't think he went as far as I don't think he went as far as ruling him out, but but he did go as far as saying that he's not worthy for prime minister. I, I don't know what we're going to see in terms of that. You, you know, in the coming days, uh, usually when someone says something like that, they ask for clarification and, and clarity in terms of what the party position is. But but what Gidon Sar is pretty much saying is that if it's not me, it's not going to be Netanyahu, and um, I'm going to leave my options whether it is going to be with Peter Bennett, whatever it is. What, what Bennett is saying is a completely different thing. He's saying, um, we're running for this Knesset election, um, again, with me as a prime minister candidate, one of the four. And in the second phase, he also says, we're only going to nominate uh, Bennett for prime minister. We're not going to nominate for Netanyahu, Lapid, or for, for Saar. And what he says is when he get to the third phase, assuming we didn't get enough seats in the first phase, we didn't get enough recommendations in the second phase, in the third phase, he's saying all of the options are open between the candidates, and uh, we'll see where the elections election results are. We'll see what coalitions are possible. We'll see what is best in terms of the state of Israel and for Am Yisrael so that we don't end up in a fifth election or a coalition with Balad, or, or a lot of these very, very difficult situations. We have to remember that elections cost a lot of money. Having four within two years, along with Corona and all of the money and handouts and you know the, the bailouts and, of course, a lot of the stuff we need for the recovery, all of this stuff costs a lot of money. And um, you know, having a fifth election is not necessarily the best thing for, for the Jews. So, so we're going out and we're trying to become prime minister, but what we're not doing is we're not boycotting any of the key players. And as I also pointed out, you know, none of the key players are, are, are ruling us out. No one's boycotting us. And that sort of makes us the, the only possibility as a key to being able to avoid a fifth election and be able to avoid a situation in which uh, this might repeat itself. So, so what Sarah is saying, again, is that he he wants to restrict himself. And what we're saying is, is we, we feel that 
it is very difficult to be a prophet and to prophesize based on how we expect the election results to go. There's one thing we do know, and you said I know a, a thing or two about polls. The election results are going to be different than what we see in the polls. And, and to make decisions right now based on what we see in the polls, we don't think is the best way for us to, to go ahead and do what's best for the, for the Israeli people. Got it. So well, let me continue just talking about uh, Yamina versus uh, Sars party, uh, Tikva Hadasha. If I'm not mistaken, and please elaborate further, both of them are going after similar potential voters, both going after uh, right-wing voters who don't necessarily want Bibi anymore, as well as center-left voters who, whether they voted for blue and white before and would not be voting for, for them now. First of all, is that is that analysis correct? And I, two, is it, yeah? No, sorry, finish the question. No, and two, do you think that that is still working, even though, according to the polls, both parties are going down, and Lapid's party has been going up, showing at least from the blue potential blue and white voters left, left, left or center, they're not necessarily going towards Sarah and Bennett anymore, and if that's making a difference on, on the strategically election campaigns. Uh, I, I do think that the Gidon Sar is going for, for the center-left voters. Uh, I wouldn't say necessarily that we are, but, but I'll explain the contrast between the two parties. Uh, Gidon Sar is very clear. He's the anti-Bibi party. All, all he says all day, all night is he's against Bibi. There's no 100-day plan. There's no plan to defeat Corona. There's no economy recovery plan. Um, of course, eight of the top 10 um, on his list were all MKs, ministers, committee chairmen, uh, within the coalition of Netanyahu up until two months ago. Um, th th there's just not a lot of content there, frankly. I understand he's, he's against Netanyahu. I, I don't understand what he's going to do differently. I don't understand what you get when you do vote for him. Uh, for sure, he's trying to get a lot of those center-left votes by just saying that he's the anti-Netanyahu party. Frankly, if I, if I was a leftist, I would probably find Lapid to be more of a, uh, what would I call it? Uh, you know, he's more attractive because, um, again, I, I disagree with a lot of things there, but at least Lupita is starting to come out with some sort of commitment in terms of what he stands for and what he doesn't. I heard Gideon Sar last week. Um, uh, he did a, an event in English. One question they asked him about the environment. He said he wasn't going to answer it. Another one they asked him about arms shipments uh, to Asia. He said he didn't want to make a commitment in terms of taking a position on that issue. Uh, look, personally, I, I don't know many voters that want to vote for someone who doesn't take a stand on issues. And, and again, I disagree with Lapid on a lot of things, but at least I know where he stands on things. Now, what, what we're saying is something that's completely different than Gideon Sar. We're saying that we're looking around us, right? We're, we're looking at the fact, for instance, that this, this uh, you know, interview is being done on Zoom, okay, instead of in person like we used to in the old days, all right? And, and we have an understanding that the number one thing that, that is going through people's mind is COVID. And it comes from a health perspective and it comes from economy perspective. And again, going through this situation of four elections in two years, we understand that this right-left divide or yes, BB, no BB, this is just not something that's going to be settled. And if we decide that we're going to have a government that's based on these type of issues and ignore the fact that we have 18% unemployed, ignore the fact that, that, again, even with the green passport and this, that, and whatever, there are a lot of people that, that are still stuck in their homes. There are a lot of people who, who are not going out. They're, they're, look, this is, to, you know, the entire Netanyahu strategy of putting everything on the vaccines 
we, we don't think that's necessarily, uh, you know, something that's going to end up helping, especially since we just saw on Friday the study come out that uh, the, the South African uh, variant, the, the mutation from South Africa is uh, six times uh, less, um, <laughs> you know, when, when it comes to this uh, Pfizer vaccine, which a majority uh, of the Israelis are vaccinated have. But meaning so, the study says that the vaccine is less effective by six times for the South yes. African variant? Yes, yes. Okay. So, so, so again, you know, and, the, and this is what Bennett was saying the whole time. Look, there are plenty of countries. If you look at, uh, if you look at Taiwan and Singapore, New Zealand, and Australia, and so on and so forth, where they only had one lockdown and they didn't need to rush to get a bun bunch of vaccines because they had a good policy. They had a good policy to be able to keep the corona levels low. And if you keep them low, you're able to buy a lot of time and go back to normal life and, and not have to to be in a rush to to make a lot of these decisions. Now, um, what, what we've seen also is that there have been plenty of experts who have come out and said vaccination cannot be the only policy. Because, again, uh, the minute that you have something that goes around, any mutation that goes around the vaccine, what does it help that everyone's been vaccinated if that becomes then the pr predominant um, new uh, strain that ends up spreading around the country? You have, to have, you have to have good policy. You can't go ahead and put all of your eggs in one basket. So, so again, you know, what we're saying is that the main thing here is COVID from a health perspective and from an economic perspective. And we're saying that all these other situations that we're dealing with, it's not that they're not important, but we have to realize the reality after four elections in two years, that we're probably not going to be able to make a lot of movement on these issues. And instead of having right versus left, let's talk about something that should be able to really unite all of us. And that is defeating uh, uh, COVID from, again, both the health and economic perspective, because this is hitting everybody. It doesn't matter if you're right or left, if you're Jewish, if you're Arab, if, you, if, if you're religious, if you're secular, if you're Haredi. It's hitting all of us. We need to deal with it. If we don't deal with it, we're not going to be able to get back to fighting about all these other issues until it's done. So it's true. We do have some pe people who are perhaps not right-wing voters who are voting for us. We're not hiding that we're a right-wing party. We're called Yamina, right? Yamin, right? But there are people who are not right, who are voting for us, not because we're waving a flag of uh, we hate these people and we're boycotting those people or these issues aren't important, but just because we're prioritizing what we feel should be the agenda, not just of this election, but of the next government. You know, um, last night, uh, Naftali Bennett went ahead and he, uh, he unveiled our economic plan, which he calls the Singapore plan. Which is, which is an amazing plan. After you know, already working with the Shulmanim and putting out the small business plan, here you have a plan that, that is a lot you know, more comprehensive. It talks about cutting down the corporate taxes significantly. We're talking about cutting down the income taxes for, for people as well. We're talking about cutting a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of regulation, in many cases, uh, cutting you know, about 50% in terms of current regulations that are in place depending on the department. We're talking about, of course, closing a lot of these ridiculous, um, useless ministries that are doing the same thing, and there's just no real reason to have any of these positions. And, th and that's what we think the election should be about. It should be about issues. It should be about policy. It should be about what is the best thing that we can give the Israeli voter as a product, as opposed to, again, fighting over how much we hate somebody how much we like somebody, and uh, and and whatever campaign promises where there's a very clear indication that there's no majority within the Knesset to be able to make a movement on any other big issue at this time.
Right. Well, just going back to the to the coronavirus COVID issue, I mean, anyone who follows me knows I've been very, very critical of the vaccine-only solution for, 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 for a long time. Uh, very critical of the fact that doctors are threatened, Kupot Cholim, are threatened to fire doctors for issuing prescriptions for medications that exist uh, for whatever reason, which boggles the mind and it's horrible. But I, I want to go into the, the political direction with you now, and forgive me for being cold about this, but do you believe that this vaccine-only solution that the Bibi Netanyahu government is pushing upon Israel is helping him for this upcoming election? Look, there, there are people that, that think that it is going to help him. Uh, like I said, what, what it ends up happening is you're going to have a situation where we're going to be a month from now. And if, if we see that a majority, in, in a way you can say politically, right, the fact that a majority of uh, the cases are the British mutation, the British mutation is okay when it comes to, to Pfizer. It appears that it's not when it, when it comes to Moderna, but according to, to the Pfizer vaccine, it does seem to be okay. That, that if you will, politically, right, you know, Netanyahu is lucky that he dodged that bullet, but there still are many cases of, you know, the South African mutation. And it's a question, what, what happens here in terms of where we are a month from now? Netanyahu wants to now, again, he wants to open things up with the green passport. Uh, of course, it's interesting, he's having Edelstein be the spokesperson for this. He's sort of taking a step back in case politically something might be wrong. He can always uh, just... Uh, Machiavelli-wise, you know, just cut Yuli Edelstein's uh, head in, uh, in in the middle of the town square if he needs to. But but what it comes down to when it comes to this on the political level is that, that he's banking on the fact that, uh, that this is going to work, that everyone's going to go back outside, and that we're going to be very happy with the fact that the vaccination is working, that none of the mutations that potentially uh, could go around the vaccination are not going to cause issues, or if they do, it'll happen after Election Day. And we won't know that in terms of the numbers. And he's putting uh, all of his political, you know, exit in, in that one basket. Is that going to work for him? Is that not? It, it ends up depending on, you know, which, which way this virus goes. We know that the virus is very unpredictable. It, it's possible that politically will be good for him. It's possible politically it will be a disaster. Obviously, on the health-wise, I, I hope that, uh, <laughs> that we're able to, to combat it and defeat it uh, already yesterday. And that we're not going to deal with these type of issues. But on a political level, it's, it, it seems to me at least very clear that uh, he could end up in a very, very big danger. And there's a reason why Edelstein instead of Netanyahu is the one dealing with the unveiling of the program at this time. That's in, that, that, that's interesting. Like you're giving us the, the political insight on uh, who's coming out as the spokesperson. A political question. <laughs> No, I was referring to you You pointing out, which is very good that you pointed out specifically that Edelstein is like the ambassador pushing forward this this green passport direction and giving us your insight behind that. So that's uh, appreciated. That's very, very, very interesting. I mean, I know already in America, they're talking about how they're, they're working. Pfizer's already working on the third vaccine, knowing it uh, that it, the existing first two shots is not going to cover uh, variants or future variants coming out. So I could just see uh, Bibi Netanyahu or Edelstein saying, okay, guys, yeah, yeah, but don't worry, the third one's coming. We're just going to go in, in that direction as well. Well, uh, we, we, heard, we heard the Prime Minister, he said, you know, uh, in a TV interview, he wants both Pfizer and Moderna to open up manufacturing plants in Israel. 
I don't know why he thinks that means that we would get it sooner than anybody else just because it's being manufactured here. But, um, you know, he's trying to he's trying to say that he's doing everything possible in order to uh, cozy up and, and, and get us the best deal when it comes to, uh, to, to, to to the various things. I saw a thing that came out that the Israeli one that, that was being worked on, uh, it looks like it might even be more effective than the Pfizer. Really? Oh, send me yeah, information. So, I haven't seen that. Yeah, so I'll send that to you again. It's it's you know stuff that's coming out, and that's why I said it, it appears, and you know all, all the conditions that, that that come ahead with that. But you know, th- this is what I'm saying. If you were if you were New Zealand right now, and you were only dealing with one lockdown, and you did normal things such as requiring people to have Corona testing before they flew, you know, or or deal with certain safeguards. Like I remember, I heard stories of people who landed here. They took the train back home and then they they isolated for 14 days. Now, of course, you know, coming into contact with everybody on the train on their way back, you know, what what's the point of the isolation of the 14 days if, you know, they they brought it in and potentially got everyone sick on their way to isolation. So so there was just a, a lot of things that didn't make sense to us throughout this time. And um, once again. If we were like New Zealand or Taiwan and so on and so forth, we would have been in a rush. And it could be that, that we we did not need to spend this you know crazy amount of money. And you know I'm saying in a situation in which we're able to keep the corona levels very much down, not the ones that we had here where we were in a rush to do something about it. But had we had the right safeguards in the airports and elsewhere to stop the mutations from coming in, to stop the, the numbers from going up, so we could have perhaps spent time waiting for the Israeli uh, vaccine or, or some of these other type of ones that are going to come out, of course, as more and more trials are, are completed and more and more versions around the market. We, we were in a rush to act because we became one of the, the highest infected uh, around the globe. So so again, this, this goes back to, to what we feel was a, a failure in terms of what um, the, the government was doing. And going back to your previous question, you know, when uh, when Gidon Saar and his entire uh, party were were members of this coalition government, they didn't seem to have any issues with with what was going on. And they were always voting with Netanyahu and the rest of the coalition supporting these things when we opposed them, when we said, again, all these things are important. You know, you need to wear a mask and, and you need a social distance. And in certain cases, when, when things are, are really bad in terms of the numbers, so, so you do have to go ahead and, uh, and, and close the schools or, or the workplaces or so on and so forth. But in a lot of cases, um, it could have been done in a very different way where certain things could have remained open, where... Um, like I said, if if a lot of the things that the Naftali Bennett suggested when he was already defense minister back in March, when he put up the initial plan in terms of how to combat coronavirus, this is before, you know, a couple months later, he wrote the book in terms of what should be done based on his lesson from, from the first uh, lockdown. Uh, we just didn't see that, that type of thing uh, happening in terms of government policy. You know, I find it very interesting that, you know, I'm looking at, at, at some of the numbers, the the amount of corona patient um, uh, um, positive cases at the end of the second lockdown, meaning when we got out of the second lockdown, was higher than it was when we when we entered the first lockdown. Mm-hmm. Just just so you understand those type yeah. of numbers, 
We had situations where we would go into a lockdown for one reason. We would go out for another reason. They would have meetings about defining the parameters that would determine when we would be able to get out. Meaning they went in without knowing what things needed to be before we got out. Uh, we all dealt with the R, but the R kept being a changing parameter. Meaning that they always used the number R, right? The letter R and the numbers with the R. But one day it was uh, it was an overall amount of patients. Then it was a percentage. Um, it, it was all patients. Then it was serious patients. Then it was a one day total. Then it was a three day rolling average. Then a seven day rolling average. Um, at one point there, there wasn't, and then there was a component dealing with hospital beds. You can't play around with this type of stuff and expect that the public is going to have a lot of trust with what it is that you're doing. Now, now I followed all of the rules and all of the regulations. And I've spent a majority of the last year in my house, like, uh, like a good citizen should, but a lot of people didn't. And a big reason, you know, going out on the campaign trail and most of it, like I said, is here on zoom talking to people. But a big reason of what I've heard of why people have not listened to the rules and regulations is because it didn't make sense to them and because they would see so many contradictions. And I think another issue was, you know, and, and this goes already to the Purim Sudas that we're going to have soon. You know, people are thinking about uh, the, the Pesach Seders, the one that Netanyahu had and the one that Rivlin had. And you look at uh, just from last, last year, last, last Passover, from, from last year. They had with their families going against the official rules. That's what Jeremy's referring right. to. Right. And, and you had the picture from last week, the tweet from Nir Barkat touring the north, you know, while the lockdown was still in full force. And he was, you know, smiling with, you know, greenery and, you know, uh, and, and, you know, so, some different bodies of water in back of him. And, and he was all cheerful when everyone was stuck at home with the regulations. Now, of course, he's allowed to because members of Knesset get a special pass where they can go wherever they want in, in the country. Look, I have that now. Uh, if I wanted to during the lockdown as, as a candidate uh, for Knesset, I, I have a uh, I, I, I had I still have this piece of paper that allows me uh, an exemption from the rules in which I can travel wherever it is that I want. But, but, but that's a problem when you have people who are exempt from the rules being the ones making the rules for other people. And, and, and I think that a big reason of why we have a lot more support than a lot of the other parties do at this point is because what Naftali Bennett did with that was he went to go talk to business owners. He went to go talk to people who were affected by these decisions that were made by the government and understand how with just talking to people, spending some time on the ground, they could be able to understand how they could change a lot of these rules in a way that would not just destroy the economy, but, but create a way in, in which these people would be able to have more money without needing the government to be able to bail them out and, and help them out because there are various things that they could have done all along. Uh, there was just a story last week with um, with uh, the cable car in the Khermon. Right. We were supposed to go there. We had tickets yeah. to go up to the Khermon because they, they opened up. It officially opened up when the lockdown was allowing us to go. And then we got the notice that, sorry, the police gave us orders. We have to close. So so j just so you understand that this is like how it goes, where where you had a situation where they opened it up without understanding that in order to get up, you need to use the cable car. That's the only way you can get up. And um, the cable car, which is through Misrata Tachbura, it's not even through Misrata Tairut, 
you know, met the, the, the Takhbura um, regulations, but for whatever reason, they decided um, in the cabinet that it's a, it's a tourist attraction, the cable car, and it's not a mode of transportation. And even though you could have each um, a nuclear uh, family together in, in its own unit and have ever, all the windows open and do it according to, to, to all of the regulations. Right, it was written, it was according to regulations. But, 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 but again, and it met the Tavsa goal, right? right. Uh, and it met the transportation requirements, but, but the cabinet voted. Vote. So, so I'm saying this is just, you know, one example from last week, but, but it was like this, this, this entire year. Um, you know, I talked talk to the people in the gyms, talk to restaurant owners that they couldn't do takeout for one of, one of uh, the large portions of one of the lockdowns. Like all of these things made absolutely no sense. Um, um, you know, you can't do delivery, you, but, but like, why not? <laughs> um, you know, if you're, if you're going to do it without actually, you know, coming into contact with the person, um, it, it, it's just a little bit ridiculous what we've gone through. And that's why I said, I, I really feel that, that a lot of Israelis understand that this is what matters. What matters to them is being able to know that their place of work um, is open, that they can work, that they can make a livelihood, that they can, you know, bring bread back so that they can feed their families and that they can be safe from, from the craziness that's going around and know that their government has their back. And, and I think a lot of people, as much as they might uh, have respected Netanyahu, and you know that, that in the past I've definitely respected a lot of the great things he's done for the people of Israel. Th this last year, has made it very difficult for me to have any confidence within his ability. And that's why for the first time in, in six elections, Naftali Bennett is making decision to run for prime minister against him because he's saying, you know, you are not the right person to be able to lead us out of this. And again, we said his only plan is the vaccination. He has no other plan. Just so you guys know, there's no other plan. And what about the economy? Right. What he gave us was uh, some sort of plan that was disqualified by the attorney general because he said that this is quite obviously um, election, <laughs> election economy, because you're, you're, you're saying that you want to go ahead and, and spend all this money without saying where the resources are and how you're going to pay for it. Look, Naftali Bennett has a plan. Like I said, it's called the Singapore plan. What it, what it calls for is to create 400,000 new jobs by growing the private sector. And to pay for it, we're going to be making cuts in the public sector. And I know there are a lot of people that aren't going to like it. <laughs> there are a lot of people that are not going to like it. There are a lot of socialists here, poor capitalist party. And what we're calling for is to increase the private sector and decrease the public sector. And, and we feel that, that, again, with this really great economic plan, we're going to be able to take Israel out of, out of the recession that, that we're in the middle of at this moment during this terrible COVID time and put us in a place where we can go to new heights. And, and there are a lot of people who are saying various things. Put a plan on the table. If you don't like our plan, explain what your plan is. But, but, but again, you know, and this is what I'd also say to Netanyahu. Tell me how you're going to pay for your plan. And you claim to be so right-wing, so why are you coming up with this socialist plan? where it's just continuation of more and more bailouts and more and more welfare and more and more, you know, how about we create jobs? Let's give people the dignity of a job. Let's give people the, the, the ability to be productive. Instead of going ahead and having the government take over all this stuff, why don't we create a situation where 
where companies are going to want to be able to employ people. Look, after a year of everyone being stuck at home, when we do, when, when we are able to get past a lot of the things we're dealing with right now, people are going to want to go out. They're going to want to spend. They're going to want to be productive. So I'm glad you brought up the Singapore plan again, because I, 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 I want to push forward with you on that. Go a little deeper. I don't know how many people understand, but yes, Israel has a very bloated uh, bureaucracy, extremely bloated bureaucracy, lots of regulations everywhere. What's necessary, there is so much fat to be cut from the, from the bureaucracy. Uh, huge unions basically have the control over huge areas of, of commerce in Israel. They can close down transportation. They can close down the ports. They can close down major, major areas of Israel's economy and affect everyone's, the whole country's life like that. So it is wonderful to hear that he actually has a plan on the table to take that on and go after that fat of, of money and, and bureaucracy that is holding back the Israeli people and economy from growing bigger and better for the benefit of all Israelis, regardless of socioeconomic level. Love to hear more about those details. But let, So I want to push you on that. Let's say he, Bennett becomes prime minister. He has that plan. Will there be the will there be the 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 fingers to put up in the in, in the air of sixty one of coalition parties to push forward with that? Because we know even in the right, which in the world in the global right is usually economic right, well Israel right is not economic right necessarily. It is more uh, defense uh, security right, and there are plenty of people in the right wing parties who are very much socialist and in bed with unions that will do everything to stop any cuts. So does he really feel, if he does become prime minister, that he will have the votes to push forward on that economic uh, plan? I'm glad that you're making that that coloration because that, that that's what it is. Okay, if if Yamina gets what what we have right now in the polls, and it's been this way for the last three weeks consecutively, where our our low is ten and our high is thirteen. If that's what we get, if we're between those four numbers, between ten to thirteen. It's going to be very difficult. Again, this is a condition. This is a, this is a condition for joining our government. This is a condition for any government that you mean is going to be a part of. If we're 10 to 13, it's going to be very difficult for us to get everything that we want in the plan in. We'll get some of it. Like I said, you have the horse trading between the second and third phase. But, but yeah, we're not going to be able with 10 to 13 seats push through this entire plan. I can tell you from previous times. You know, when it was breaking up the cement mo uh, monopoly, the yellow cheese monopoly, when, when he cut a third of all regulations in the National Standards Institute, this was stuff he did as economy minister, and it was very, very difficult. We did that with 12 seats. There's a lot of things we can do, but the amount that we get between 10 to 13 seats, it's going to be more limited than the vision in terms of what we've put forward. If we're able to get closer to 20 seats, let's say 16, okay, or more, so yeah, we're going to be able to, to make sure that the government that is formed is one that is reliant on this program. Because whatever scenario you put in, if that's what the, what the numbers are, you know, if, if we're in a situation where we're closer to 20, at least 16, that, then we have uh, one of the two largest parties in the Knesset, and we have the ability to form a government where this is the economic plan. And this is going to be what happens. But, but if we end up in the 10 to 13 area, and we've been in that area before. So, so if we're in that area, then, then we'll be able to do a lot of great things, but we won't be able to push through the entire plan 
because there will be other coalition partners, because there will be other parties that are pushing in one direction or another. So what we need are for, of course, all of the people watching the program to vote Yamina, and that it'll be bet that that's our uh, our letter this time around. And if they go ahead and they vote bet for Bennett, then we'll be able to uh, get this economic plan up and running and make sure that this is what we do in terms of uh, the next government of the state of Israel, which I believe, again, it, it, if we don't do this, then I don't even want to imagine what's going to happen to our economy going down. Because if if we allow this time to be a time in which we go even deeper into socialism, I don't know if Israel's ever going to be able to get out of it. Say that again. You were cut off. You were saying if we go deeper into socialism, just say that so everyone can hear the full sentence. I, I said if we go if we go deeper into socialism at this time, I don't know if we're ever going to be able to get out of it. Got it, Jeremy. It is always a pleasure talking to you and hearing your insight. And you know what? I just I just want to leave with um with uh with with a personal a personal request since since you are an insider in many many ways. During this whole Corona thing, I, I personally, I'm, I'm very worried about what I'm witnessing in Israeli society now. More so than the people getting getting sick or dying from Corona, I'm just witnessing a very, very um, uh, poisonous atmosphere where, where, where with the, the rollout of this green passport, Israeli society is now being divided between those who are vaccinated and those who are not vaccinated. Where Because of the pressure to get vaccinated, the message people are getting is that if anyone who's not vaccinated is dangerous. And I'm, I'm just seeing in, 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 in chat groups and WhatsApps and posts, people are actually talking about friends, neighbors, and family members as if they are dangerous. And it's causing, it's already, even though this is just beginning, it's causing a lot of poison within families who are talking about not even having family members over for 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 the holiday meal on Purim, uh, neighbors, uh, synagogues. It's just the atmosphere is becoming extremely, extremely poisonous. And not making light of the situation, of the health situation, I personally, knowing that even the CEO of Pfizer said, listen, I'm 59 years old and healthy. I'm in no rush to cut the line to get the vaccine. Yet Israelis are being pressured and to think anyone who's not vaccinated is, is a danger where yesterday with social distancing and masks we were okay but now all of a sudden we're poison and we're dangerous anyone who's not vaccinated so i'm just making a plea if whatever whatever channels and people you're able to talk to with whatever decisions are made for the benefit of israel still to keep in mind we are still one society who do look out for one another even if there are disagreements even if we have disagreements about even about vaccinating or what the right solution is or what to do but to stop this very very poisonous atmosphere that's really again i believe harming israeli society more in the long term than even uh than even the covid um a coronavirus so if you're able to if that's something that touches you're able to do something with it i'd appreciate it you know, uh, I'm happy to say a few words about that. Uh, there, there are, there are for health reasons, there are various people, if they're on certain medications or, or steroids or uh, certain autoimmune diseases, where their own personal uh, physicians are suggesting for them to wait uh, for health reasons. And, and, and I think that's totally under, uh, understandable. Of course, in the green passport um, system, it, it, they're, they're just not recognized uh, of people like that. And I understand there's a lot of frustration. There are a lot of people 
who, um, again, have been following all of the rules all, all along, and they've been great citizens. Uh, and, and now they really feel that they're being discriminated against. And, and I, understand, uh, I understand those people's frustrations. Of course, our party line, and um, I shouldn't say everyone agrees with us because there are people that don't, but, but, but we're very much for incentives for, um, for, for those who vaccinate, but we're against sanctions against those who don't. I've heard certain parties come out for sanctions. I think overall, it's an, it's an over, overway, uh, overall way of looking at, at, at how you deal with problems in society, right? There, there are certain parties that say, how do you deal with, with the Haredim? You need to sanction them. How do you deal with, uh, you know, people who are trying to beat the system this way or that way or whatever? You, you have to, you know, find some way to punish them. I, I felt as someone, as you, you know this, I've been in, in politics for a very long time behind the scenes, working on a lot of crucial pieces of legislation that have changed all of our lives. And, and what, I've, what I've noticed is it's one thing to pass something, it's another thing to be able to actually implement it on the ground. And when you try to force people to do stuff that they don't want to do, um, you, you're usually not going to be able to do that. It is very, 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 very difficult. And you have to be able to recognize that. And um, I understand there are people that don't. There are people that uh, that feel they need that they want to push through as much as possible. Um, and and uh, you know, I heard uh, R.A. Derry's you know line of going door to door or, or whatever it is. I I personally don't think. And again, we we feel that there should be incentives and people should vaccinate, but we we just don't think that's going to be helpful. We don't think that going door to door. It is going to be what convinces someone to put something into their body when when, when they don't agree uh, to, to, to do so. So, you, you know, I'll tell you that what comes down to it is a, it's a philosophical thing, Avi. And it's not just about vaccination. It's about every, every aspect of, uh, if you will, uh, citizen rights and, and in terms of how it is that you go about trying to deal with big issues. There are parties that, that understand that, um, you need to be able to come up with, with incentives if you want to try to convince someone to do something. And then you have other parties that feel that the best way to be able to do stuff is to be able to sanction them, to scare them, um, and, and whatever mongering is possible in order to, to, to force people to do things the way that, that they would like to see uh, be done. So, you know, it's not these stuff don't come up. This stuff comes up. It, it's just about each person following the philosophy that, that they have, that they've uh, brought with them when it comes to the table uh, of being able to deal with these issues. All right. All right. Well, in, on, on that note, Jeremy, we, may we have a uh, celebratory and very happy holiday of Purim. And again, thank you very, very much for your insight, uh, your political insight, as always. And Thank you. Thank you so much, Avi. Chag Sameach, Chag Purim Sameach to everybody. Chag Purim Sameach. Shalom, shalom, Jeremy. All right, everybody. Thank you. There you go. You had to. You had the opportunity to hear some insight from Jeremy Sultan again, as the as the Knesset insider, as the outsider from the political party, but also from his uh, personal insight as being on the list number sixteen of the Amina party. Hope you enjoyed. Hope this was helpful. And if you like the video, you agree with what Jeremy is talking about, then share the video for others to see as well. Signing off from the eternal and ancestral homeland of the Jewish people, this is Avi Ablo for another Pulse of Israel. Thanks for watching, everyone. Shalom. Pulse of Israel, frontline videos from the Holy Land. 
and support our work by donating today.